I have decided this morning to uh, depart from my series on Romans. That will be finished at a later time. Instead, I'm going to begin a new series that is focused on issues directly related to the coronavirus. The coronavirus is certainly on everyone's mind. It permeates the local, national, and world news. It's effectually, uh, it's affecting virtually everyone's life around the world, and it's impacting all aspects of our lives. The coronavirus is impacting our lives socially. People are not being allowed to gather in groups larger than 10. Kids are staying home from school. Sporting events are not taking place. Special activities are being canceled. Extended families are not able to congregate as usual. And we're having to stay home, and people are feeling isolated. The coronavirus is impacting our lives economically. People are losing paychecks. Businesses are having to close. Industries are going to have to be bailed out. Americans are going to be receiving subsidiary checks from the federal government. And the government is talking about a plan that will cost well over a trillion dollars. And the coronavirus is impacting our lives spiritually. Churches throughout the area are unable to hold conventional services. Many spiritual routines have been disrupted. So what have been some of the reactions that people have to these negative impacts? Well, first, some are annoyed. They see all these precautions as inconveniences and view the situation as being overhyped. Others are frustrated, not being able to go to work or find what they want at the grocery store. Many are worried, wondering what the future holds for them physically, emotionally, spiritually. One thing I want us to do this morning is not to lose perspective. Though the problems are great, our God is greater. I said that I'm going to be starting a new series on the coronavirus. But how does one do that? Certainly, if you do a word study on coronavirus, you're going to come up empty. The word coronavirus does not appear in the Bible. Nevertheless, the Bible has a great deal to say about the concerning underlying issues that are associated with the, with the virus. The passage that we're going to consider this morning was intended to give the nation of Israel comfort in the time of their duress. The temple and the city of Jerusalem would be destroyed. Eventually, the temple and the city would be rebuilt in the intervening period of time, God had words of encouragement for his people. What did God want them to know, to understand, in their hardship and their duress? The theme of our message this morning is, what does God want us to understand in the time of hardship and distress? The key verses from this morning's passage come from Isaiah chapter 45, verses 5 to 7. They read as follows. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. 
I am the Lord who does all these things. First, we note in this passage that God wants us to understand that he is the only reliable source of help and deliverance. God, the God of the Bible, is the only true God. The fact that God is the only true God is repeated for emphasis seven times throughout chapters 45 and 46 in the book of Isaiah. Listen to the repeated phrase. Isaiah 45, 5. I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. Isaiah 45, 6. That people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. Isaiah 45, 14. Thus says the Lord, the wealth of Egypt and the merchandise of Cush and the Sabaeans, men of stature, shall come over to you and be yours. They shall follow you. They shall come over in chains and bow down to you. They will plead with you, saying, Surely God is in you, and there is no other, no God besides him. Isaiah 45, 18. For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens, He is God, who formed the earth and made it and established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Isaiah 45, 21. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Isaiah 45, 22, the end of the refrain. For I am God, there is no other. Isaiah 46, 9, again, the end of the verse. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, there is none like me. So who is this God? Well, the God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. Isaiah 44, 24, thus says the Lord, your Redeemer who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens and spread out the earth by himself. And again, Isaiah 45, 18, for thus says the Lord who created the heavens, he is God who formed the earth and made it, he established it. He did not create it empty, he formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is no other. So what does God want us to learn from this repeated emphasis that he is God and there is no other? Why does God want it to be understood that he is the only God in town? In fact, he's the only God in the world. God wants us to understand that there's no other place to turn. God alone is God. No one else can do 
what God can do. There are many brilliant, gifted people in this world who are working hard on treatments and vaccines. We are grateful for their hard work and the effort that they put forth. And that energy is certainly necessary. But one thing this event should teach each and every one of us is that there are things in this world that are beyond human control. Whether those are individual humans, whether they are groups, communities, nations, government, in fact, the entire world is unable to do what God alone can do. He created all things. Therefore, in seeking help, therefore, in knowing where to turn, therefore, placing our confidence regarding the future should be reserved ultimately for God and God alone. But what does God want us to understand in this time of tragedy? He wants us to understand that there is a purpose in what is taking place. A purpose that includes the entire world, that all may know him. In the context, this passage is about doing something so extraordinary that all peoples everywhere will both hear and see God's work. The emphasis is upon the broad scope of the effect of what God is doing. Notice Isaiah 45, 6. That people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west. The entire world is being stressed in the words from the rising of the sun, which is the east, of course, and to the west. It is a poetic way of saying throughout the entire earth, everything that comes under the influence of the sun. Thus, all mankind everywhere. God is going to do something that is extremely extraordinary. The temple and the city of Jerusalem would be destroyed, all in keeping with his will. Then the city and the temple would be rebuilt again in keeping with God's will. First, the destruction of both the temple and Jerusalem created quite a stir in the nations of the world. The Babylonians were feared by all. They were a world power. Yet God ended the Babylonian captivity, and the children of Israel were able to return to a destroyed Jerusalem. Then Cyrus, a Persian king, through him the city of Jerusalem and the walls would be rebuilt. Isaiah 44, 28, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall fill all my purpose, saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built, and in the temple your foundation shall be laid. So God is going to use this foreign king to bring about a great deliverance of God's people. All will hear of it and learn of the goodness and the power of God. Everyone will marvel at what God has done. 
In the past, God has used great events in history to make himself known. In Isaiah 46, 9, it states, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is no one like me. He invites us to reflect on his dealings in the past. God has used worldwide calamities before. God used a worldwide famine in the time of Joseph to make God known and that would, people would come to him. In Genesis 41, 56, and 57, the account reads as follows. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. Rarely, rarely do you experience a worldwide famine. Certainly there are geographical uh, portions of the world that experience uh, floods, tsunamis, hurricanes, tornadoes, uh, and famine. But rarely do you have a situation that the entire world is affected. I believe that in like manner to what God had done in the past, God is making himself known throughout the entire earth by means of the coronavirus, with the intent that peoples everywhere may turn to him. As I said, rarely are these natural disasters and outbreaks that affect the entire world. However, the coronavirus is having an impact literally around the world. It is no exaggeration that we are experiencing a once-in-a-lifetime event in our world today that is affecting the entire world. Who among us has experienced an event like this in our own lifetime? Something unique is taking place. The Worldwide Health Organization has declared that the coronavirus is a pandemic. The very word pandemic speaks of the scope of the disease. Epidemic is a term that is often broadly used to describe any problem that has grown out of control. An epidemic is defined as an outbreak of a disease that occurs over a wide geographic area and affects an exceptionally high proportion of the population. The term pandemic relates to the geographic spread and is used to describe a disease that affects a whole country or the entire world. The World Health Organization has recognized this as a pandemic. And I say to you once again that this is a unique event and a unique opportunity that is present around the world to make God known. We must seize this opportunity both home and abroad. 
But first, stop and consider and see God at work. See that God has a purpose and he is sovereignly bringing it to pass. For not only are we to seize the opportunity to praise God and to work for him, but also to see the providential working of God in spreading his word around the world. Take note, for example, of God's sovereignential and providential working even in the midst of our own church. Because of the coronavirus, the word of God is spreading. Because of the coronavirus, we have finally gone to live streaming our messages. Last week, approximately 279 watched the live stream. That is more than the average attendance on Sunday mornings. This week, we put out a video informing people that we would watch, uh, that they could watch the message this morning dealing with the coronavirus. Thanks to many of your of your good work, many of you shared that video with others. The result was that on Facebook alone, 892 people were invited to watch this morning's live stream. If you are watching and our message for the first time this morning, we welcome you. But I feel pretty confident in saying that we haven't had a week prior than this in which people invited 892 others to sit under the teaching of the Word of God at the Lebanon Bible Fellowship Church. And further, I am pretty confident that that wouldn't have happened had there not been the coronavirus and everything that is associated with it. Magnify that by all the churches around the world that are live streaming the Word of God this morning. Magnify that by all the opportunities that God has not only made possible, but actually has constrained, has forced us to take in order to get the news out. Our God is not only sovereign, he is good. What else does God want us to understand about the time of this tragedy? God wants us to understand that he has done this. If you look at Isaiah 45, verse 7, it states, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. People are asking the question, who is to blame for this pandemic? People are looking for scapegoats. They want someone to blame, someone to hold accountable, someone to pay for this outbreak. Some are wanting to blame China. 
It's their fault. It comes from them. This is not a political statement. This is a statement about the way in which mankind responds to calamity. Some are blaming governments in general. They're not doing enough to stop this epidemic. It's the fault of our governmental leaders. Some just see this as a result of bad luck. It's just a freak of nature. The world running amok. Another outcome of global warming. Who is responsible for this pandemic? I declare unabashedly that God is. God is responsible for this pandemic. It has come from him. It might surprise us, but God is not ashamed to claim ownership of the calamities of this world. Note again Isaiah 45, 7. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. That is hardship. That is difficulty. That is that which is destructive. These acts that we have come to call acts of nature, which are really acts of God. Does that make God evil? Of of course not. God is responsible for all the pleasant things that come into our lives. In verse 7 it says, I am the light. The scripture teaches us that every good and every perfect gift comes from above. However, like the nation of Israel of old, it is so easy for us to have a tendency to take God's goodness for granted. We fail to recognize how good we have it. That is, until things are taken away. Until he forms not only the light, but also creates the darkness. We take for granted the stores being completely stocked. The opportunities to go to school and to work until those things are taken away from us. Who would have thought just a few weeks ago that young people would miss going to school and that adults would look forward to going back to work? We are longing for things to get back to normal. The normal that once seemed boring. The normal that we once complained about. The normal that we once grumbled concerning now looks like something to be desired, appreciated, longed for. In fact, there now is the concern that things won't go back to normal. God is the God of light. Nevertheless, God is not only responsible for the good and the unpleasant, God is also responsible for that results in our well-being and our detriment. Again, verse 7, the middle of the verse. I make well-being and create calamity. Note the emphasis of the statement at the end of verse 47. I am the Lord who does all these things. Why is it so important that we understand that the coronavirus is ultimately God's doing. 
Answer, so that we seek God's help. What does God want us to understand in this time of tragedy? God wants us to understand that our response should be to turn to God and to seek his deliverance. God invites us to turn to him for deliverance. Notice Isaiah 45, 22. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. God is getting our attention. He wants to create in us a spiritual fervency, a renewed longing and trust in him. Now is the time to pray and to pray like never before, to pray for deliverance. In verse 22, when it states, turn to me and be saved, salvation there needs to be understood in two different ways. First, there is salvation in the soteriological sense. That is that we need to be delivered from our sins, that we need to be forgiven, that we need to have a personal relationship to Jesus Christ. One of the unique aspects of the coronavirus is that it's caused a lot of people to fear for their lives. People are fearful of death. The only one who ultimately has control over life and death is God. He is the giver and sustainer of life. And not as only is he the giver and sustainer of physical life, but he is the giver and sustainer of eternal life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. No one comes unto the Father but by me. If you're fearful of death this morning, I would encourage you to turn to Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in him and know that through him you can have everlasting life that through him you can be in the presence of God when you die. But there is salvation in a second sense, and it's actually the primary usage in this particular passage, and that is deliverance. The children of Israel were in going to be going into bondage. This is actually a prophecy of a future event, and the children of Israel are going to go into bondage. And it is going to be difficult for them in the land of Babylon. And they're going to be in captivity for 70 years. So what are they to do? They are to turn to God. They are to pray for deliverance. They are to pray that they can be restored to the land. They are to pray that the temple would be rebuilt. They are to pray that Jerusalem, the city, would be rebuilt. We are encouraged in the scriptures, to turn to the Lord in the time of tragedy and hardship so that that tragedy and hardship will ultimately be removed. I'm extremely confident that all the hardships associated with this virus will eventually come to an end. I do not take this virus lightly, but I am assured a treatment therapy will be found. 
a vaccination will eventually be developed. Or eventually this disease perhaps might be overcome by extremely warm weather and it just dies out. I don't know the means that God is going to use. Well, I have confidence that we're going to be delivered. Why am I confident? It's not because of mankind's ingenuity. And I'm grateful for all the people that God has given to us and all their abilities and talents. But it doesn't rest in mankind. I have confidence because our God is merciful. I have confidence because our God is gracious. I have confidence for he looks down upon his people and has pity. I have confidence because of what Almighty God has done in the past. I am confident because people will pray. Just as he encourages us to turn to him and to pray for deliverance, I would ask this morning that you, along with me, pray for God's deliverance not just of ourselves, but the peoples of this world, that this spread would come to an end and life can get back to normal, but a new normal, a new normal of a renewed love for God, submittedness to his power, appreciation for his Provision. It is important and necessary that people are working around the clock and are looking for treatments and vaccines. I do not minimize that at all. It is extremely important. It is appropriate and necessary for people to be taking precautions that this virus does not spread. But what I want to be communicating to you this morning is that apart from God, Apart from God's grace and his goodness, those efforts would be futile. But God is gracious. And God is good. And God does use people as agents of his mercy and grace. There was Joseph in the time of the famine in Egypt that God raised up to be the ultimate provider of that foodstuff that was necessary during the famine. God raised up Joseph. In the passage before us, God is going to raise up Cyrus, the king of Persia, that is going to be the one who gives the command that the temple and the walls be rebuilt. I'd like you to look at this verse concerning Cyrus. It's found in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 5. I am the Lord. There is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you. I equip you. He's referring to Cyrus. The you is singular. In the passage, God predicts that there's going to be this king 
that is going to uh, proclaim the uh, rebuilding of the temple and the walls. God says, I will equip you. Then notice the next statement. I, I find it fascinating. Though you do not know me. Cyrus was not a saved individual, if you want to use that kind of language. He was a foreign king. Joseph, of course, was chosen one of God in the sense that he was uh, born again. Cyrus is referred in this passage as the Lord's anointed. The one whom God's spirit would rest, but Cyrus doesn't know him. God is at work. God uses the efforts of both the saved and the unsaved, the regenerate and the unregenerate. And he provides deliverance that comes from him according to his will. The point is, when this deliverance finally comes, and it will, because God is gracious, and God is merciful, and God promises to deliver when his people turn to him. But whatever source that that deliverance seems to come from, never lose sight that just as ultimately this disease comes from God, so too ultimately the succession of this disease comes from God. This deliverance is offered to the peoples of the entire earth. If you look at verse 22 of chapter 45, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. People around the world are praying. People around the world are coming and will come to him. We should make him known. I am grateful that uh, last week Olivia Bumgardner actually watched uh, this uh, video a stream from Spain. Uh, Spain is hard hit when it comes to this coronavirus. Italy, China, and we go on and on. Around the world, we have a message, a message that encourages people to turn to God. So what should be our takeaway from this very first message? And this is a series of messages on the coronavirus. Well, here are some takeaways. First, Understand that God is the only and ultimate reliable source of help. As you're casting about and trying to find a solution, and I don't care what that solution is, uh, whether it be trying to find groceries, uh, whether it be financial difficulties they're encountering, whether it be fear over the disease itself, whatever the issue, remember there's no other God. There's no other answer. He is the one and only and true answer for all of our needs. May we pray. Pray about your needs. Pray about your fears. Pray for God to be at work. Pray for your future. Pray believing God's promises. Secondly, understand that God has a purpose and everything that takes place. 
There are not just one purpose, but many purposes. But for this morning, the emphasis is that his purpose is to make himself known, to get our attention, to understand when perhaps we have taken for granted the light and the well-being, to learn that that same God is also the God of darkness and of calamity. And may we learn to give thanks, even in the midst of hardship and difficulty. May we learn some tremendously appropriate spiritual truths. For example, concern for one another, whether that be in social distancing or in not hoarding foodstuffs. And the next time that we are frustrated because we go to the store and maybe they're out of meat, just remember, well, we're not starving. And there are peoples on the face of this earth that are starving, not just because of the coronavirus, but because that is their lot. That is what they have experienced for extended periods of time. There are people in hardship. May we gain a new perspective. May we gain a new thankfulness. May we learn to rejoice more in what we have, even as Jesus teaches us to give thanks in all things. Understand that God has done this. Let's end the blame-seeking. Let us simply understand that there really are things that are beyond human control. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to do our best. That doesn't mean that there aren't times that people act irresponsibly. What I'm saying to you is, this is bigger than anyone's decision. This is bigger than anyone's action. God says, I do all these things. And remember, God has done this so that they would turn to him and seek his help. I believe that with the more earnestly, fervently, and quickly that we seek his help, the faster deliverance will come. Let us pray. That this disease will come to an end, that life will get back to normal, a normal that now we're going to be thankful for and praise God for. Let's pray. Almighty God, we pray for your grace and your goodness to be manifested. Lord, we know that you are a a loving and kind God. Lord, we know that there is benefit in serving you and in seeking you. I pray that you would calm our fears, our anxieties. And not only our fears and our anxieties, but Lord, perhaps indifference, negativity, complaining, grumbling. Lord, as we cast about and people are wanting to find out whose fault is all of this, Lord, may we take a step back and learn 
concerning the sovereignty of God. A God who is not ashamed to say that he creates light and darkness, well-being and calamity. Lord, so often we take the well-being for granted. We don't ascribe to you our health and our strength. We think that we're strong because we're young. We think that we are strong because we exercise. We think we are strong because of our diet. We think we are strong because of what we do. But the Word of God teaches us that we cannot add a day to our lives, and our days are numbered. Again, that does not mean that we act irresponsibly. But Lord, there's a a recognition, again, that in him we live and move and have our being. Lord, not only do you create well-being, you create calamity. And I pray that as we are humbled in this time, that we would seek you with a new fervency. And you would use us as a witness. Help us to avail ourselves of the opportunities. When people are asking who is to blame, may they be surprised when we say that this is a work of God. May perhaps they see God in a new light. We live in a time and day in which people have this view of God that all he does is that which is loving and gracious and kind, and he always will be. But Lord, help us to see that in God's goodness, he reveals that ultimately there's even a day of judgment. And as people seek deliverance from a disease, may it go further, and may they seek deliverance from their sins and place their faith and trust in Lord Jesus Christ, not only for their physical well-being, but for their spiritual, eternal well-being. Lord, be merciful to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us. Uh, We encourage you to continue to join as we do this series on the coronavirus.